This podcast was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire. For more information on who we are and what we do, visit lifelanks.org. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. Great to be together this morning, isn't it? And it's remarkable how much time Jesus in the gospel spent eating with others. I don't know if you've read much of the gospels, but I'm always blown away when I read the great stories. Of course, we have the great teaching. Of course, we have the great preaching. Of course, we have the healings and the miracles. But time and time again, we find Jesus around a table. We find Jesus welcoming other people, providing hospitality for other people. Jesus, it seems to me, just loves spending time with people. And it seems to me that one of Jesus' favorite things to do was to spend time with other people eating. Anybody else? He loved it. He just loved spending time around the table, gathered with friends and family, and also gathered with other people who might be considered outsiders, might be considered rejects, you know, might be considered not worthy to sit at the table with Jesus. They seem to be the people that Jesus loved spending time with the most. Jesus just loved gathering around the table, eating with other people. So much so that actually he began to get a bit of a reputation, even a bit of an accusation. And we're going to read that accusation in Luke 15, verse 1. In Luke 15, verse 1, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they, they're muttering to each other. And here's what it says. The tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now they didn't know, for Jesus that was a badge of honour. They thought they were accusing Jesus of some great heresy. He thinks he's the Messiah. He thinks he's the Son of God. He thinks he's this great prophet, this great leader, but we can see through him he just loves spending time with the wrong people. He just loves eating with those who are unclean. He keeps welcoming people to the table who should not be welcome to the table. So this Easter Sunday, we're going to listen to three stories of Jesus. The great storyteller was also a great dinner guest. And as he ate and drank with different people, he would often tell stories. And these stories have lasted two millennium. You know, and we're going to think this Easter Sunday about three stories of lost things that become found, broken things that get restored. And the first story is a story that's very familiar to a lot of people. And we're going to watch the screen. This is the, the story of the lost sheep according to the chosen. Amazing. So a story that's maybe familiar to many people. The parable of the lost sheep. Luke 15, verse 3 to 7. Now, in each of these three stories we're going to tell this morning, there's something lost, something found, and then a party. It's Easter Sunday. Who's ready for a party? Something lost, something found, and then each story we're going to see ends with a party. Now, I want us to think about, in each story, I want us to think about the thing that gets lost. And in each story, we're going to think, how did that thing I'm calling a sheep a thing. Is that okay? How did that thing get lost? So, in your own mind, have a think about that. How did the sheep get lost? How did the sheep get lost? I'm not going to ask you to shout out, but have a think to yourself. How did the sheep get lost? Well, I think the answer is really simple. The sheep got lost because it was a sheep. 
the sheep was doing sheep things. Uh, and there may be some people in the room who know a bit more than me about sheep, but I think the sheep was just doing sheep things, sheep vibes. It was being a bit sheepish. It was just doing... <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. It was just doing what sheep do. It wasn't willfully getting lost. It wasn't trying to get lost. It was just a sheep doing what sheep do, following its nose. The grass smelling better on the other side of the fence. It just followed its nose. It just thought, what's that smell? There's something over there. That grass looks good. That river looks good. It just began to wander off. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about this sheep. Maybe too much time thinking about this sheep. But I've thought a lot about this sheep because I thought, I've met lots of people in my life who remind me of the lost sheep. They just wandered off. Just somewhere along life's journey, they just began to wonder. They just began to follow their nose. They just began to get a bit curious. They just began to see, I wonder what's over there. I wonder if that grass is greener. I just wonder what that feels like. They just began to wander off. And decades passed, and they find themselves lost. Decades passed, and they go, how did I get here? How did I get so lost? The sheep isn't lost because it's a rebel. It's not rejected the shepherd. It's just followed its nose. It's just wandered off. And as I tell these three stories this morning, it might be that you feel a connection with one of the characters more than the other. And if you feel like the sheep, can I tell you that that's okay? Because in the Bible, the animal that's most compared to humans is the sheep. If you ever think, oh, the silly sheep, the silly sheep just wandering off. Actually, the animals most compared to humans in the Bible is the sheep. Are we okay with that? We're more likely just to wander off, just to lose our way, just to not a huge act of rebellion, not a huge rejection, just kind of wandering off, following our nose, following curiosity, wondering what's over there. And then before we know it, we find ourselves lost. But what does the shepherd do in this story? It's beautiful, isn't it? The shepherd goes after the lost sheep. The shepherd has 99 others. You could say, don't worry about that lost sheep. You've got 99 more sheep in your flock. Don't, it's just a sheep. It's just a sheep. Would you give that advice to the shepherd? It's just, a, just let it go. You've got these 99. Look after the 99. Forget about that lost sheep. But no, for the shepherd, the sheep is incredibly precious, incredibly important. Why? Why is the sheep so important to the shepherd? Well, one, I guess the obvious answer is, it's his business. He's a shepherd. He's a sheep herder. Without the sheep, a shepherd is redundant. You know, without the sheep, the shepherd's got no job. He's a sheep herder. That's his business. So in one way, you could just say he's looking after business. He's looking after his property. The sheep's important to him. Why? Because it generates business. But if you know anybody that owns animals, any animal lovers in the room, any animal lovers at home. If you know anyone that owns animals, and, and maybe you know people who you know, work with animals, they're not just property. They're like pets. You know, for the shepherd, the sheep wasn't just a business transaction. Actually, it was more like a pet. There was, it was precious to him. You know, for the shepherds, they were the lowest of the low in their society. Maybe, maybe people living below the poverty line. So for the shepherd, they, you know, they would sleep outside and the sheep and the shepherds would often share the fire together. You know, they'd often share the living space together. These were like members of the family. And this shepherd, 
the shepherd was so passionate about his sheep, he, he left the 99 and he went after that lost sheep, facing potential danger. You know, fate, who knows what? Who knows what he's going to face in order to get that shepherd, uh, to get that sheep. But I love the picture that Jesus paints. When he finds that sheep, he puts it on his shoulders. He puts it in a place of safety and he returns home. And let's read in the scripture what it says. Luke 15 verse 5. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Did you hear that? Today there's going to be a party. We're already in party mode, aren't we? Today's going to be a party. Today is a party. And today, this Easter weekend, I know that thousands of people will come home to Jesus this weekend. This is the homecoming. I know this weekend, thousands of people will say yes to Jesus. Thousands of people, like the lost sheep, will thank the good shepherd that he brought them home. And there's going to be a party in this room this morning. But can I tell you what? There's also going to be a party in heaven. There's going to be people in this room this morning who say yes to Jesus. Maybe for the first time. Maybe people today who are saying, I want to come home. I've wandered astray, but I want to come home to God. I want to come home to the good shepherd. And there'll be a party in this room, but the Bible tells us there's a party in heaven. And that party never stops because people are coming to know Jesus every day. All the time, people are coming to know Jesus. But this Easter weekend, there's going to be a huge party in heaven as thousands come to know Jesus. So that's our first story, our first lost story. The second lost story is in Luke 15. It's right, the right next verse. Luke 15, verse 8. It says this. I'll read it from the screen. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. So in this story, we've now switched from a shepherd and his lost sheep. A hundred sheep, one get lost. He chased after that sheep. He rescued that sheep and brought it home. In this story, we've got a woman who represents God in this story. She has 10 coins. Now, you might have change in your pocket. This is not loose change. These are not pennies. It's 10 coins, but these 10 coins represent 10 days wage. Every coin is a drachma, and that represents one day wage. So she has 10 coins, 10 days wage. So you do the maths. You know, that, that's a significant amount of money. But she's lost one of these precious coins. So she loses the coin. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Verse 9. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. Verse 10. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This lady who represents God in this story, 10 coins representing 10 days wage, and she loses one coin. And then she turns the house upside down. Have you ever lost anything? Have you ever lost anything? And you have that panic. Have you, do you remember that panic feeling of where is this thing? It's not just loose change. It's not something insignificant. It really matters. It's really important. It's really precious to you. It's really significant. And you've lost it and that panic sets in. Where's my keys? Where's my phone? No, where's, where, where is it? Where's my wallet? I've lost it. And she turns the house upside down. I love how scripture puts it, that she looks carefully. 
She's sweeping up. She's thinking, is it, is it a crack in the ground? Is it in a dark corner? Is it under the sofa? Is it down the back of the settee? I don't lost a coin down the back of the settee. Where is it? Where is this precious thing? Now, in the story, we don't find out where it was. All we know is she found it. She turned the house upside down until she found that precious coin. And when she found that precious coin, she did the same as the shepherd. She invited her friends and her family around to celebrate. Because this isn't just a coin. This actually maybe connects this woman to her future. You know, as a, maybe an unmarried woman in first century Palestine, you know, it's a dangerous world for an unmarried woman. And so for her, so these coins might connect her to her future. This might even be her dowry payment to help her get married. This is significant to her. It's precious to her. Now, again, I've spent a lot of time, maybe an odd amount of time, thinking about the coin. And again, I've met a lot of people who remind me of the coin. Now, I know it's a coin. I know it's not a person. I know it doesn't have feelings. But I've often imagined myself as the coin. And maybe just for a few moments, you could imagine yourself as the lost coin. So this, the coin, it is just a coin in the story. But obviously, it represents you and me. It represents people. It represents people who might find themselves lost. And here's what really, really speaks, speaks to me about the coin, is it didn't choose to be lost. The sheep gets lost because it wanders off. It follows its nose. The coin, the coin didn't choose to be lost, did it? The coin gets lost. The coin finds itself in a dark place. You know, I, I imagine the coin in a dark corner or hidden somewhere. You know, it rolled down the, the, the floor and it found itself in a dark corner, forgotten, misplaced, isolated. You know, it really speaks to me, the coin, of lots of people that I meet in life where maybe something just happened to it, not by its own choice, Something happened to it. We call it life, don't we? Life happened to it. Just the coin gets lost and finds itself forgotten, finds itself in a dark place, finds itself isolated. If that's you this morning, then here's the good news. In this story, the woman represents God. And in this story, she turns the house upside down. She's diligent. She sweeps the floor. She shines a light. She looks in every corner. She pursues the coin until she finds it and puts it in its rightful place. Some of you need to hear this morning that you are deeply precious, like the coin, deeply valuable. The coin was precious and valuable, but forgotten. Deeply precious, deeply valuable, but forgotten, marginalized, in a dark place. Maybe this morning, that's your story Maybe you're like, I have this sense that God knows me, loves me, has his call on my life, but I've just found myself in a dark place. I found myself in a forgotten place. I found myself misplaced. If that's you this morning, the good news is this. God in Jesus came and turned everything upside down. He came into our darkness. That's what we remembered on Easter, on, on Good Friday. He came into our darkness. He turned everything upside down and he pursues you this morning. He's looking for you this morning, and he's looking to restore you and bring you back. Then here's the third story, maybe the most famous story, the story of the lost sons. And we're going to focus on the youngest son just for a moment. You might know this story as the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. I'm going to read it again. Luke 15, verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. 
We'll pause there. Give me my share of the estate. That's like asking for his inheritance. That is another way of saying, I wish you were dead. Do we understand that? So he's asking for his inheritance early. He's saying, Father, just give me what is mine. I have a right. I have a claim to this money. Give me my inheritance now, which is another way of saying to the Father, I reject you. I wish you were dead. Just give me the money. So we divided his property between the two sons. Verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. Now let's remember, this is a Jewish boy. This is a Jewish context Jesus is telling this story in. And for the, for the Jews, the pigs are not kosher. So the idea that he's a son in his father's house, access to all the privilege of all the wealth of his father's house, and now he's in famine, in need. He's got nothing, and he's feeding the pigs. Verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Can we agree this is a low place? Can we agree this is a low moment for this young man? He's found himself in a place where the food he's feeding to the pigs looks desirable. When he came to his senses, I love that line. He had a, a moment. He had a moment of revelation. He came to his senses. Maybe for some of us this morning, there's going to be a moment where we're like, you know, actually life is better living for God. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So we got up and went to his father. Now we're going to pause the story there. Some of you know what happens. Some of you maybe don't know what happens next. But just to fill in a little gap, because there's something in the first century culture, first century uh, Palestinian culture, called the Kezazar ceremony. And this is something I learned a few years ago. When I heard this story, I just thought, this is an incredible story. And when Jesus told this story, everyone in his audience knew about the Kezazar ceremony. And I'd never heard of it before. So here's the Kezazar ceremony. Most uh, homes, most Jewish homes at the time would have had a pot, maybe similar to this kind of pot. And the Kezazar ceremony uh, was this, that if a child had rejected their mother or father and left home, if they ever returned home, then the village, on behalf of the family, could perform the Kezazar ceremony. And the Kezazar ceremony was about honour and shame. If the child had brought dishonor on the family, then the community could dishonor the child by taking the pot and smashing it on the floor and then taking those shattered pieces. And this is brutal. Okay, this is brutal. Slashing the child to death. That's brutal, isn't it? So that's not the heart of God. But this is an ancient ceremony called the Kezazar ceremony. That was the right of the village. If you've brought shame on us, by dishonoring your mother and father, then we will bring shame on you. I don't know about anyone else, but that reminds me of Good Friday. It reminds me of Jesus enduring the humiliation and the shame and the 
beating and the whipping and the spitting in the face. He endured all of that. There was blood shed on Good Friday. And the Kezazar ceremony was awful, was brutal. And that's what would happen if the son had come home, the village had the right to smash the pot and perform the Kezazar ceremony. Unless, unless, unless the father or mother of that child got there first. If the father or mother of that child got there first and embraced their son or embraced their daughter, then the Kezazar ceremony was cancelled. It was cancelled. You know, Good Friday, we remember Jesus' blood was shed once for all humanity, once for all time. His blood was shed for all of us. The Kezazar ceremony was performed on Good Friday. But on Easter Sunday, we remember, there's no Kezazar ceremony anymore. There's no Kezazar ceremony for you and me. Because here's what happened next in the story. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father... The son knows about the Ketazar ceremony. The son knows that he could come home and the best he might get is a servant. The worst he might get is, is, is murder. The worst he might get. The best he might get is being a servant in his father's house. What he doesn't expect is his father to run to him. Now for the father, I like to imagine that every day the father looked across his land, looked across the fields, hoping today was the day when his son would come home. And in this story, today is the day when the son comes home. And the father looks across and he sees his son. And the father says to himself, there's no Kezazar ceremony today. No pots will be smashed today. And he runs. He runs to his son and was filled with compassion. Verse 21. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Not only to say that you're welcome, but to say you're a son of the house. You're an heir. You belong here. You're not a servant here. You're not a slave here. And you're certainly not going to face Kezazar today. You are welcome home. And then they began to party. Verse 24. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. That's a good story, isn't it? And today, that can be our story. We've called this morning the homecoming. Easter Sunday is the homecoming. Here's a scripture that for me just encapsulates the Easter story so well. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19. God in Christ Jesus was reconciling the world to himself. Reconcile means to bring back into relationship. God in Christ Jesus was reconciling the world, you and me, to himself. That's what happens at Easter the bloodshed, the brutality of Good Friday. But today we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. And today we celebrate the homecoming. Today we say lost people can be found. Broken people can be made whole. And in a moment, we'd love to give you an opportunity to be prayed for. For, for those of us to pray, maybe, maybe the people that are going to pray for people could come forward. That would be great. Because in this moment, we want to say, if you feel like the lost sheep, if you 
recognize and see yourself, I've wandered off. I feel like I've gone astray. I just was kind of following my own way and decades have gone past and I've found myself lost. And today I want to come home. That can be you. Maybe like the lost coin. Maybe you found yourself in a dark place. Maybe you found yourself in some dark situations. Maybe you found yourself feeling lost and isolated and alone. Even forgotten. Maybe even this week you've just thought, nobody cares. Nobody knows my name. I feel forgotten. Well, today, like the lost coin, you can be found and you can be restored. You can be reconciled. And maybe like the lost son, maybe today there's a sense of carrying guilt and shame. Maybe you recognize I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against God. I've done done some stuff. There's been rebellion or rejection. And maybe today's the day where you say, you come to your senses and say, it's time to come home. I want to come home. Maybe, maybe today, maybe even in the build-up today, you felt like, I can't come to God. I can't pray. There's too much guilt and shame. Today, there's no Kezazar ceremony. No pots are going to be smashed. There's no bloodshed today. Kezazar ceremony has been cancelled. Today, it's come home. Today, it's received the embrace of the Father. Today, it's grace. Today, it's mercy. Today is Easter Sunday. We remember Good Friday has been achieved. And we're in a new era now. We're in the resurrection era, in the post-resurrection era. You can receive grace. You can come home. So if you connect with any of that in this moment, we'd love to invite you. Why don't you come? Why don't you come and be prayed for? Maybe you want to become a Christian for the first time. You can come and say to these wonderful people, will you help me reconcile with God? Will you help me come back to God? Maybe there's been a sense of, I just feel lost. I feel alone. Why don't you come this morning? So as the band are playing, you can come now. If you found this podcast inspiring and helpful, then we'd love for you to get in touch via at LifeLanks on social media 